Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Geek Rant, episode 291, Better to Give, recorded May 20th, 2017, and brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementop.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to our, our podcast from the past. Uh, this is another, and I think we have one more. No, this is the last one. This is our last um, pre-recorded show. This should be, come out the last week in June, and so next week, you'll be hearing us live uh, for better or for worse. Uh, but tonight, uh, this was Seth's, uh, topic. He wanted to talk about, uh, charities just in general in terms uh, what our favorite charities are and, and that sort of thing. Seemed like a good topic. Um, and, uh, so here we go. And I, I just wanted to kick off, uh, we, we talked about in our financial February, uh, the, the, the importance of giving in any financial plan. Uh, there's lots of reasons for it. Not not least is you know you can get a break on your taxes. Uh, you can feel good about what you're doing. Uh, but it's just been well documented that people who have a systematic um, mentality of giving are more financially prosperous than those who don't. Uh, you can you can call down cosmic powers. You can say it's karma. You can say whatever you want to say. It just seems to be one of those things that has been tried over and over again. Um, so if you're not currently um, investing, investing is the right word, investing some of your money in someone else, um, it would be a good or idea to think about that. Investing it in the world. Right. Because, I mean, really, that's what you're doing. You know, if, if all you ever do is invest in yourself, it gets to the point to where you build yourself up better than the world and then your, retur- your investments are worthless. So you got to take some of what you have for yourself and give it away, thus a rising tide floats all boats. Right. How's, how's that for nonsensical stuff that sounds? I, I, I heard a, a recent, uh, uh, I, I was, I was on the Dave Ramsey show, uh, which we've talked about before. Uh, it was one of his recent episodes. He posited a question. Uh, what would happen if, um, listeners of his radio show, I, I don't know what his audience is. Let's say it's a million people just for, um, round numbers. What happened if that subset of the country decided to outgive the government as a as a people group what would how would that change not only our country but the world it's an interesting thought experiment um people rely on the government as as you know the the bank of the world the 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 thing that are going to fund everybody the safety net but you know as as i've said so many times uh the government has no money all of all of the government's quote-unquote money comes from you because uh, that's how the government gets money. Just what would happen if the American people took it on themselves to outgive the government? What would that look like? Interesting probably, thought. Probably pretty good. Yeah. You could go back in time before LBJ implemented the Great Society program where it was the individual people giving and not the government. So you could say that's better or worse, but it was certainly different. Well, but that was, you know, the, uh, th- that was not a necessarily outgiving. That was just the government not taking and forced giving. Anyway. Right. Um, generosity is its own reward. So anyway, I just wanted to kick off the conversation um, by saying how I personally have been impacted by the generosity of others. And I have two uh, sort of quick stories. Uh, one I will tell a little later on, but the first one I want to tell is it's a, it's a whole gift of the Magi thing. Um I was in elementary school, and it was around uh, Thanksgiving time, and we had a uh, a food drive to give to uh, needy families who didn't have food 
uh, for Christmas. Uh, I mean, for Thanksgiving. And uh, so a, uh, a local business had volunteered uh, a, a turkey per family, and the school system was getting together, uh, you know, dry goods, canned goods, that sort of thing. And so my brother and I each took um, a can of hominy or whatever and, and uh, participated. And I was really excited about that. I was probably second or third grade, very, very young, and excited about the, the prospect of, um, you know, helping uh, somebody who needed help. And uh, when I got home at the end of the day, there were two bags of groceries sitting on my front porch. I was one of the families that was deemed needy. And it was really the first time in my life I realized I was poor. I didn't know. I mean, it was I was eight, right? I didn't know I was poor. And it was both uh, uh, a humbling experience. Oh, my gosh. I'm poor and I didn't know it. And also, literally the best Thanksgiving we'd had in a long time. Uh, we had a turkey. We had our own... Uh, uh, um, you know, our own fixings. We had uh, the cranberry sauce and the green bean casserole, all the things that you would normally expect. Uh, we we hadn't had that before unless we went to somebody else's house, which we frequently did go to family's house. Uh, but that year we stayed home. So it was um, it was a, a, a mixed blessing for me, but it was I got the blessing. It was I got the the joy of helping out. And then also I got the benefit of being helped out. So that's my story. Both, you know, it's a little pathos and a little little joy, both. Cool. Very nice. Either of you have a story to, you'd like to share on either end of that, the giving or the receiving? Um, I don't know. It, it's a totally different kind of story. But, um, you know, okay, I went to college, obviously, and Mark and I ended up going to the same college. And it was um, so – um, you know, freshman year, and you're going to be staying in the dorms. You go there for you get there that er, a week early for the freshman orientation. You know, when you're there, pre college life kind of thing. And I have, I've just always had a kind of an issue opening up with people, and you know, just stepping, looking beyond myself for anything. And I had made up my mind for for no good reason. I was just like, okay, college life is going to be me sitting in this dorm room and going to class. And that's going to be the extent of it. And somebody from the BSU came by. That's and the Baptist visited. student union, by the way. Yeah. So, uh, you know, they, they came by because I had went up there and, and hung out some and filled out my little card and they came by and said, you know, Hey, I hope we, I hope we see you around this semester. And it just, it struck, it hit me, you know, Hey, wow. You know, there's people out there that care. So I ended up logging more time there than some of the staff. I think I was there a lot, but so, you know, and that is a, that is funded by area churches and the Baptist denomination. And, and so it was pe because people gave to it, you know, it was there to give to me and give me a place to be and to, uh, to fit in and kind of belong during college when I was staying away from home. So it was really cool. And, you know, I don't know what I would have been if, if one guy hadn't came by and knocked on my door and said, Hey, I hope you come around some. So, you probably wouldn't be the world famous podcaster you are today because that's where you met me. Right. Probably not. So you wouldn't be making the tens of dollars that you make now as a podcaster. Wait, <laughs> I'm not getting those tens of dollars. Well, I'm just saying over the course of the five years we've been doing it, okay. you know. Yeah, I've made a little bit. So, <laughs> Miles, do you have a story you'd like to share? Yeah, I, I do, but it's um, it's not the 
kind of story to expect is kind of like like Seth was saying. Um, I you know I don't know charities for me have always been something that it, I okay so a little background. My parents were both very uh, strong members of their church. Uh, I was raised a, as an Anglican or a Protestant, I guess you would call it here, uh, Church of England, which in Australia and England is common. Um, and so I you know as a, as a kid I was brought up through the whole church. Uh, lifestyle from, you know, the second I could walk all the way through to when I was going to school and everything. So charity was just sort of assumed. I mean, we just did things on the weekends. We, you know, my my mum was always involved in um, in organisations that would put together clothing for the poor or food or whatever. And I just tag along because that's kind of what you did. I didn't know any better than that, and it's just what you do. Um, it wasn't until I, you know, left the nest and, and went out on my own that I realized, um, I, I kind of realized that organized uh, charity uh, at large scale like that um, can be very, very effective. But then I also saw the downside of it. I saw the, um, the rampant abuse and the administrative costs gutting, you know, 80% of what was in large charitable organizations and I kind of got a really bad sense of of being lied to from the whole thing you know and so so ever since then um, I've taken charity on at a one-to-one level with with whatever I've done I've tried to do myself to somebody who will actually get to see it in use um, and not for any personal benefit but just because I don't necessarily trust the larger charitable organizations that are out there. And, I mean, I don't know, what, what do you guys feel about that? Do you feel that, that the larger organizations are relatively safe bets these days? I, I really think it depends on what it is. Um, the, the ones that I'm going to, to talk about today are uh, larger, uh, particularly the last one is, is one of the largest in the world, uh, and and – it has a they have a commitment to uh seeing a large percentage of the donations there there are there's always overhead there's no way around that once you get so big that you have to have staff you have to pay those staff uh but there there are times when people are taking giant chunks of it um uh, there was a, a news story a while back about the the jerry lewis telethon uh and the huge administrative um, expenses, quote unquote, they were using, um, and that something like thirty percent of the money that you gave actually went, and they they cleaned that up as a as a result of that outing. And I, I kind of believe that you know sunshine clears out those sort of things. Um, and so you, the best thing that you could uh, look for in a charity is uh, you know uh, a very public entity. But just because it's big doesn't necessarily mean it's evil. That's the the, lo- the short way of saying the long thing I said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also part of that expense is jo- is jobs that people are working. So, you know, hey, this this organization's goal is you know whatever feed all the poor people in the world. Well, it they it takes people to administrate and oversee, and they earn a salary for that. So, in addition to feeding poor people, you are also providing jobs or helping to fund jobs that you know keeps other people from being poor. So, just because one hundred percent doesn't go to the stated goal, it takes part of that money to provide the infrastructure otherwise none of the money would go there 
So, I mean, I lots of abuses, but again, you know, lots of abuses in everything. Um, if we could ever find something without people, maybe we could get something without abuses. And so, I think the laws in the U.S. only require something like three percent of of money brought in actually go out. Uh, so there, it is a a, a battlefield ripe for fraud. Uh, but that five hundred one c three tax deduction um, thing is 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 uh, there's a higher standard for that. And if you if you want to uh, get a tax deduction for your giving, and if if you want to offer people that. Uh, there's a much higher standard for that. So people uh, covet that pretty heavily. If they say it's a tax-deductible du- du- donation, then they are held by a higher stand- to a higher standard by the government. Yeah, it, it's kind of an interesting dynamic because I don't want those sort of abuses of charity to be a reason why somebody or an excuse why somebody doesn't give. And I think that often happens. People see some sort of negative and go, oh, I'm not getting involved in that. I don't think that's appropriate. I've, what I've done is tried to get down to the local level as much as I can. But then I realized that's not very effective. How can I help somebody in another country if all I'm doing is directing everything locally? So it's always a quest to try to find balance. But yeah, I mean, I look, when Katrina happened, I threw 500 bucks at the salvos. I mean, that's just normal behavior right Mm. when and and that's kind of how it works for me if i see some cause i'm i'm all in there's no i don't hold back on that sort of thing but at the same time i want to be careful that i'm not all in on too many things and it's not actually the efficacy is minimal yeah and i think it's also important to look at the track record you know uh the red cross for example has been literally all over the world for generations um they have earned a certain cachet uh, Salvation Army, an, another one. Uh, you know, um, Bob's people who like to help people and do other stuff good too. That just formed last week. Maybe, maybe not so uh, so much. So, uh, you know, it, it is important to uh, to have a track record and, and to. But the, I think the big key is just do something. Get involved. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, all right. So let's move on uh, and talk about our actual charities. And Seth, uh, you're up first. Oh, okay. So the first one I'm going to talk about is one I actually discovered back in MySpace days. Um, and it's called Hookers for Jesus. And the the goal of this... Uh, what a great name. I'm sorry, I'm about to fall out of my chair. <laughs> but, you know, their, their, um, their goal and their purpose is to... Uh, find and rescue people who are caught in sex trafficking and provide them a way out. They actually have, it's the equivalent of kind of like a halfway house for people who are coming off the street and, you know, either they were runaways or there was usually abuse or something involved. And so in a lot of cases, the only thing they know how to do is to use their bodies to make money. And so th- through this halfway house and this organization, you know, they, they learn trades and skills and they, there's like a graduation ceremony at the end to where, you know, they go out and they, they're not like, they're not prostitutes anymore, but they're like just members of society who work a regular job. And so hookers for Jesus was, uh, founded by a former prostitute. Her name is Annie Lobert and she married, I can't remember his name, but he was like, uh, the main guitarist for Striper. So I, I can't remember his name, but they got married a few years ago. That would be Oz Fox. 
yeah oz fox so anyway hookers for jesus that's one of the ones like i say i found them on a myspace page i don't even remember how i got there uh, but i used to because i'm an i'm an internet surfer i click links that click links that click links i came across her testimony page and i read it and i was like this is something i want to support so i support it you know i haven't given hundreds of thousands of dollars but I, every so often i throw some money at it and i i appreciate the goal of the organization so any questions about that one before i move on well i thought we'd re- round robin this one but uh i, I, oh, okay. I do want to say that you're going to see uh our tra- charities reflect our personalities as we go throughout this um you know uh, uh the religious organizations have a track record of you know benefiting people because it's sort of built right in like miles was saying it's an assumption it's an assumed thing you're going to do in almost any organized religion so there's going to be a lot of those but also as miles said he likes to get uh you know get real and get uh direct and so his stuff uh reflects that so miles why don't you tell us your first one uh okay well i was going to mention that you know i donated to the king of nigeria because he needed to park some money somewhere but that was a how'd that that work out for you i I (laughs) did not (laughs) it did not (laughs) And if everybody gets asked that question, I would suggest they don't do it. Uh, anywho, um, yeah, I was uh, uh, picking, let's pick one here. I'm going to go with the EFF. And I know that it's probably going to cause some some people love it, some people hate it. But it just so happens that uh, I was on an aeroplane from New York to Chicago many moons ago. And I happened to sit in the row behind a gentleman who I thought I recognized from TV, but I did not know who he was. And I had the wonderful experience of overhearing him talking to somebody in this organization. And that gentleman's name was John Perry Barlow. If you've ever met the guy, heard the guy, he used to be a, uh, I think he used to be a songwriter for the Grateful Dead. But prior to that, uh, or after that, he, he founded the EFF, the Electronic Frontier Foundation. And it's basically an organization that's all about uh, effectively free speech and digital rights on the internet. And, you know, us being geeks, that kind of resonates. But I didn't know much about the EFF um, other than the fact that I was just listening to this guy talking. I thought, wow, that's really interesting. And, and I agree, you know, in privacy and I agree in all those sorts of things. So I decided at some point I would actually fund some of their um, – I guess you call it what pro bono attorneys or they're, they're attorneys that take on a lot of cases that nobody else can either afford to litigate or afford to defend. Um, and I've been doing that for years. And uh, the funny thing about it was I got called by kind of, yeah, I guess by the EFF to work with a uh, law professor at Stanford University on the, I guess, somewhat famous personal audio podcasting patent case. Oh. Um, which was interesting. I was an expert witness uh, on that case. And uh, although I didn't actually have to present myself to court, I did spend hours and hours and hours and hours on the phone with the attorneys at Stanford, uh, helping them with the EFF draft their case and uh, assist in ultimately effectively winning that one. So I've not only devoted money, I've devoted a lot of time. And it's kind of a cause that's becoming nearer to my heart i don't agree with every single thing that they champion um but for the most part i generally do and so i've sort of stuck with that and that's kind of been one of mine cool yeah the the eff was uh instrumental in having uh, getting that uh, lawsuit 
dropped essentially uh not because they went to court but because they were willing to uh i, I believe they filed a number of amicus briefs uh as uh, you know a friend of the court saying you know if this comes to this we're prepared to do this and in the end that suit was dropped because it just it was proving to not be financially worthwhile uh, and that's the kind of thing that uh organized nerds can do for you yeah yeah but again you can't do it without money Lawyers are not cheap, and even pro bono lawyers have to they discount their time down to nothing, but they still got to live, and it's not cheap to live in the in San Francisco. Yeah. So it's uh, we you know we, I I had to give them some money. Why, why not? Yeah, and I, 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 like you said, I I don't always agree with everything the EFF stands for, but uh, they are an organization I have supported uh, that you have supported the listeners through me. I've given your money uh, to that organization because they do good things. Yeah, and there's so many groups who are so far in the other direction that it's good to have one so far in that direction to kind of balance it out. So, it, you know, and there's a lot of cases where, you know, I think this group goes too far that way, but because this other group goes too far that way, I'm glad this one's over here on this side too, kind of helping show where the middle is. So, yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's well said. Uh, yeah. So my first one is Charity Water. It's an organization that uh, has been around for a while. I recently heard of it uh, recently within the last couple of years. Uh, and they have one simple goal. That's to bring clean, fresh drinking water to the world. Um, and we live, uh, you know, in the West where we have what is all but an infinite supply of water, uh, potable water delivered to us, um, you know, by the gnomes under the ground, we don't think about it. We just turn the tap and we take a bath and wash our cars in the same water that we drink. Um, and much of the world doesn't have that, um, uh, privilege, uh, for many people going to get the day's water is half a day's work. And there is a member of the family or a member of the tribe. That's what they do. That's their chore. They go and get water. Uh, and Charity Water uh, works with uh, local organizations, local schools, local communities, local in that organization. And they they dig wells. They train people uh, how to repair the wells. They train people how to mill parts uh, to replace uh, uh, the wells. And it's, uh, it's one of those things where um, uh, they are entirely um, uh, volunteer-driven. So 100% of their donations actually go to where they go to do. They don't take any money out of it. Um, the, the, the things that they need are either bought with your donations or they're, uh, uh, donated by organizations. It's a good organization. It is a, um, a, an ecumenical religious organization, but, uh, you know, uh, they do good work and clean water should be considered a right, uh, a, a human right, I believe. Hmm. Cool. Good stuff. Very good. All right. Well, that didn't generate much discussion. <laughs> so, Seth, back up to you. All right. So, this is one we've actually talked about. And if I remember correctly, we've actually donated through the show. This is the Core Infrastructure Initiative. Um, there's so much of the internet that is used is based on open source Um software protocols that there's so little money going in to make sure that it is secure. So this was started by the Linux Foundation as well as other organizations and companies. And it's just going around making sure that the underpinnings of the internet 
are secure. You know, cutting off avenues of attackers for, you know, criminal organizations and black hat type people. And so the core infrastructure initiative is something that, you know, oh, you're just helping the companies make money. Yeah, but I'm also helping you talk to your grandmother for free. So a, a safe and secure internet for the world to play in is something that is is needed and this is one of the things that goes to address that so the core infrastructure initiative is my second charity listed mark what do you think about that well it's it's infrastructure isn't sexy and it rarely gets attention whether that infrastructure be um roads or bridges or uh fiber optic cable and um as we saw recently with things like Heartbleed uh, and things like that, the, the core infrastructure is vulnerable and nobody's minding the store anymore. We've moved on to the sexy things, the web 3.0 and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, I'm, I'm all for this. Um, somebody's got to do this and, and programmers like lawyers don't come cheap. Yep. You know, I think it, this is the equivalent of spending thousands of dollars on the paneling and the siding on your house but not checking to make sure the two by four studs haven't rotted through so who cares how nice the siding is on the outside or the paneling on the inside if it comes crashing down around you because termites ate out what was in the middle so the same is true of the internet you know oh facebook's a nice pretty website oh everybody uses google for search well who cares if you go to your computer and get offline every website you try to visit so uh the infrastructure is important and miles infrastructure is essentially your entire livelihood so what do you have to say about it uh yeah it is um well i i agree look at me you know it's funny you should say that because this week's been an interesting week for me. I've been doing a lot of programming of an application for a very large school district in California. And uh, one of the things that was really noticeable with this one was that a previous attempt to do this work failed because the people who did the work were kind of that web 3.0 or 2.0 type group that were all about presentation and not about function like form over function and the reason why we got called in and i will know this week if we've been successful we probably have is because i can provide a complete data center lockdown secured solution that drives from the back uh, it's kind of like the engine solid and now you can worry about how the car body looks um, whereas these guys had a really good car body and no engine and and it's not that not one or the other is necessarily better but at the end of the day when something doesn't work you really do appreciate the infrastructure that does and you need there's a lot behind the scenes guys that people don't realize whether it be the fact that we've got you know 40 different incoming data providers into data centers so if one goes down there's 39 that can pick it up or that you build a a physical data center over two different power grids. So if you get a brownout on one, the other one still operates. There's all these things that people don't realize and they don't and they forget. But for me, it's day in the life stuff. So I kind of probably forget it because it's always there. But when you start seeing people not dealing with this sort of stuff and then things not working, you kind of think, really? <laughs> But yeah, so I'm I'm all about I'd be all over that core infrastructure sounds like an awesome project. All right, so a, a good place to throw a couple of bucks if you've got them. Yeah. Um, and my next one, uh, similar to Charity Water, uh, it's primarily an international organization. It's simply built right into the name there, Heifer International. 
um, it's it's really simple. They give um, animals to people in places where getting an animal is a life changing thing. So for like thirty bucks, you can give a chicken to a family in say Ethiopia. I just picked that out of the blue. Um, what does that do? Well, it makes sure they have food every day. Um, the chicken's going to lay eggs. Um, they can then hatch some of those chickens. Maybe if they can get uh, hook it up with a rooster, and now you have a business. Now you can sell chickens and you can sell eggs. Uh, you give somebody a goat. Uh, now they've got milk. They can they can consume the milk. They can take the excess milk that the, that they can't consume, and they can make cheese out of it. And they can sell that cheese. For, so for one hundred and twenty dollars, you can give a family not only food but a business. And what and I like goats will eat all your garbage yeah. too. Yeah, the chickens eat the bugs, the goats eat everything else. Um, and what I like about this is it's not a handout, it's a hand up. Um, and they don't just give them the animal and say, you know, good luck, I hope it makes a good stew. They give them uh, uh, training in animal husbandry and teach them how to make a business. Uh, and, and they teach women uh, in cultures that, you know, where women are uh, not allowed to be educated. They teach them how to, to, to sew and to sell things and, uh, you know, to make um uh, fancy shoes that american uh, privileged women are happy to pay a hundred bucks a pair for uh and it, it it's a life it's a way to change a life for a hundred bucks uh or less i mean a chicken is thirty dollars um if you can't give if you can't find thirty dollars rumbling around in your your seat cushion somewhere um then maybe you need uh, a, a heifer and <laughs> maybe you need that uh but I, i'm a big fan of not only the concept but the way they do it um and it's it's not about uh just f- giving people food it's about feeding families and that's a very different thing yeah excellent cool all right no comments there <laughs> <laughs> i mean well no mark you just do too good of a job of explaining it okay. all the places where you could leave it open for comments you say hey y'all could talk about this but i'm going to tell you yeah, okay. y'all could talk about this but i'm going to tell you okay any questions <laughs> so <laughs> all right um and uh, seth you're up next okay well this one doesn't have a website but whatever community you are in has some type of food bank or food pantry um if you're in a small rural community usually it's one of the churches house it and many churches contribute to it so you know i mean yeah you can give to places this is my kind of help locally you know and it, it doesn't take much just a few bucks a week um that you know you go buy food drop it off you know some ramen some chicken noodle soup or something like that and this is for whenever people around need a hand you know if you can give them a little bit now keeps them from going under and needing a lot later so whatever wherever you are at there is a local food pantry food bank some type of organization that provides food you know usually you know canned food uh, dry goods, stuff like that, bulk items, and they it takes money for them to go. And you know, so few people give that if just everybody gave a few bucks, then all of a sudden they would have lots of money to be able to do that. And then you know, local food bank. I don't have I don't have a website because I don't know where you are. And some of them they're so they they don't have a website. You just 
if you go to church, ask somebody on your church staff, hey, what's the local food bank or food pantry? You know, if not, maybe call the Chamber of Commerce. But everywhere you're at, I, I haven't been a place that didn't have one. Yeah, it uh, the town where I used to live, it was run by the Chamber of Commerce. Uh, really? It was church, it was hosted at various churches. It was like one one Tuesday a month or whatever. It would be at a various church, but it was the Chamber of Commerce that ran it. So that's actually good. Contact your local government; they'll be able to tell you where to go. Yeah, I, I, one place I was at, it was the main food pantry was in one church, but there was an emergency food pantry that was in another church. So you know, every Tuesday or whatever, you go to church A. But if if something happened on Thursday and you needed just a few canned goods, then you went to church B. So yeah. that that was the way it was split up there. So every place is different. All right, Miles, I thought you were going to say something, but I guess Oh, not. no. <laughs> no, just, but I can, I can. I can tag off that one because <laughs> I got one that tags off that at a 21st century technical version of the same thing, um, unsung.org. I, I think I might have mentioned these guys a long time ago on the podcast, and I actually was trying to get the guy who runs this thing to, to turn up and actually so we can interview him. But I'll tell you what this thing is. It's a really cool uh, app slash website slash initiative, unsung.org. And it effectively does the effect of a local food bank, but it goes out to the front lines and it delivers food to homeless people one-to-one. And uh, right now they're operating out of Baltimore and I believe Seattle uh, and I was hoping that that a lot of others would take this on board and a lot of other cities would get involved. I I did try to put my hand up and say, hey, I'll uh, be happy to help you out in Phoenix in some way, but uh, nothing has come of that yet. However, uh, the way it works is that if you've got – if you're a restaurant and you cook a lot of food, chances are at the end of the day you're going to throw a lot of un-et food out. And what these guys do is they will turn up to the rest to the restaurant with these boxes, like um, pre-made, uh, prefabricated boxes for putting excess food in. And rather than the restaurant just throwing the stuff out into the dumpster, they will uh, form, you know, put it in the boxes in uh, sort of portion sizes and stack the boxes up. And then if you're a, a, a part of the team you get a little uh, message on your phone ding restaurant so-and-so has food that needs to be collected you literally get in your car you drive out you collect it and you are under the i guess now I'm, i'm hoping i'm saying this correctly but under the rules of engagement shall we say you're sent to an area to give it to homeless people and it's food and it's it's liquids or water or, or something to drink, it keeps them fed. And it's a remarkably good uh, initiative. Now, the interesting thing about it is it's all run by technology. So the restaurant will effectively use an app to say, we've got food so that they can get the food collected. The team of people out there who might have 
uh, some time in the evenings to pick up the food from restaurants, you'll get dinged on your phone and you'll get dis dispatched out to go and pick it up and deliver it uh, to the appropriate uh, endpoint. And then um, what happens is that if you believe that this is a really good thing because no one wants to see anything like food go to waste, especially when it means somebody can eat, uh, and maybe you're not in one of these towns or maybe you're not able to be uh, directly involved, you can donate uh, to unsung.org. And what happens is that those donations go towards uh, compensating the delivery people for their gas. And there's a kind of a, a game. You get points for how many deliveries you do. And, you, tr you know, it's a little competitiveness between the delivery guys. So it's a bit of fun. Uh, but it's all for a good cause. And, and I thought... When I heard what this guy was doing, this is remarkable. Uh, it's using technology, it's using decentralized uh, workforces, and it's doing everything for the right the right uh, cause here because people shouldn't starve. Not in this country. It's ridiculous. Uh, but it happens, and this is one way to help uh, mitigate it. And your next one, let's go ahead and tie that one right into it. Uh, it's it's the same sort of using technology to see your money at work. Yeah. Um, and then the, the the other one I had was Donacy. Uh, I heard about this recently. It's pretty new. Uh, Donor, D-O-N-O-R-S-E-E.com. Um, started by a guy who I believe is from, oh, I'm going to say it's not, oh, man, he, it's Africa. He's in Africa. Anyway, he was a... Uh, uh, kind of like a Peace Corps worker who was stationed uh, in Africa and saw what people needed in villages. They needed to build a dwelling to live in. They needed clean water. They needed um, power or food or farming uh, assistance or educational assistance, all the things that you know communities need in order to grow. And uh, he was constantly finding that the government's uh, donations were either not getting to the end point to the people or not getting anywhere at all, or not coming at all. And so what he did was he set up a, a bit of technology here where it's it, it's in effect a Kickstarter or a, a program like that for donating to people in uh, impoverished regions in the world who need money to build a building and keep the roof off, uh, the rain off their heads. Um, so you don't need to commit much money, but his his commitment to the whole process is that he won't get in the way of getting the money to the endpoint, and that you, as the individual donor, actually choose the endpoint you want to send the money to. So you champion some individual's cause. Uh, it could be a family that you know have, have been struck down by some virus, or and they need medical assistance, or it could be uh, somebody who's lost their home due to a flood, or it could be. Uh, you know, a farm that's been wiped out because of harsh weather or whatever the case is, you pick your cause and through his website, the money goes from you to the cause, same way that it would be if you were donating for a Kickstarter project. Uh, it makes a lot of sense to me. It's sort of obvious to me. Uh, I'm surprised this didn't happen earlier. But, uh, yeah, I, I like it. Donacy is really well worth checking out. Yeah, so I, I'm uh, looking at their webpage right now. One of them is, is says, Violet was abandoned last week on the side of the road. She's about two weeks old. We have no idea where her family are. She needs milk to give her a healthy start. Please help us help this little girl. Uh, so it's, it is a, a Kickstarter slash GoFundMe slash, you know, uh, click to kind of thing. 
uh, you you click the give button, you give five bucks, you feel good about it, and and the people get what they need. It's uh, it's it's really kind of the the making clicktivism work. I, I like it. Yeah, um, it, it's also got a little of a political stance to it, and what I mean by that is it's it's apolitical in the traditional ways that we rely on government to provide these sort of things. It's all about voluntarianism and it's all about decentralized money and how technology can bring parties from far across the globe together with parties that need it and we can get all of these um, roadblocks out of the way to get to get money from point to point. Um, there is a quality control aspect to these things that somebody is actually vetting these projects. So it's not like somebody's just putting up, hey, you know, I've been hit by a car, give me money. In fact, nothing ever happened. Uh, no, they're getting vetted, but uh, you have to have some level of faith. But the same would be true if you were giving money to the Red Cross. You don't know where that money's going to go. Uh, and you don't, you know, you just trust them with it. And in this particular case, it's much the same thing. Seth, any thoughts? Cool. No, I mean, I like it. You know, one of the things, well, I, I'll, I'm just going to keep the politics out of it, but I think this is really cool. It's kind of a, you know, it's just a way to, it, you're you're still helping people in your neighborhood. Now just your neighborhood is the internet and not the people who live within the half mile of where you are. So it's, I think it's really cool. Um, I had not heard of this before today, but it's something I'm going to be looking at. That is profound. You're still helping people in your neighborhood, but your neighborhood is now the internet. Yeah, that's well said. I mean, you know, because you think about it, you know, if if you go back um, before there were like cars, your neighborhood was maybe a couple of miles. You could walk or horse, you know, a wagon trip or something like that. But then when you got a car, your neighborhood could literally be a hundred miles. You could go there and back in a day, you know, uh, and now with the internet, your neighborhood people who share your interest and share your desires can be literally halfway around the world you can't be further than halfway around the world but um <laughs> you know so this is a way for people of a like mind to come together and help out those so i think it's really cool yeah i, I wanted to put those two together because they they seem to go hand in hand unsung and donor c uh, mm. are both uh writing the 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 new wave of of using technology in uh in non traditional ways I like that you know one of the things I did find interesting that you say Miles and now I'll hit the politics of it a little bit you said <laughs> tr traditionally this is something the government does but that's only been tradition for about fifty years before traditionally this is something that people or groups outside the government has done at least in in America you know it, it was it was the churches or it was your neighbors helping out and the government wasn't involved in making sure that you know Johnny had a place to sleep and a and you know food to eat it was Bill's farm down the street that said you know you work for me and you can sleep in the barn and I'll make sure you're fed as well so Times no, you're change. Right. You're, you're absolutely right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it, maybe it's more of a, a demonstration of the power of decentralization and the fact that with things like the internet, I, I guess there's a theme running now. I look at all of the ones I've put here. There's a theme of we need to protect the internet because it decentralizes the ability for us to give charity to those that need it. There we yeah. go. 
Job done. <laughs> yeah, it technology changes uh, behavior, and sometimes it takes a while for society to catch up with that change in behavior. Uh, you used to to deal with your neighbors on a regular basis. You you knew if uh, the O'Leary's down the street had a had a cow that was down and they weren't getting the the milk production they needed, and you would take them some extra milk, not because uh, it, you wanted to feel good about it or because you needed a tax uh, write off, but because you you knew the the whatever name I said Johnson, you knew them, you cared about them, you loved them, and you wanted to see them do well. Um, we live such insular lives right now. The people we love and care about, that circle gets smaller and smaller uh, just because we interact with people less. So when we can use the use technology to to break out of both of those bounds, it's a good thing. Mm. And then the last one I want to talk about is another personal story I have, and that's the Salvation Army. Um, Salvation Army is well known. It's been around for uh, 200 plus years, I think. Uh, I could go look and actually find out. Uh, but it is uh, inherently... Christian in its nature, the Salvation Army is right there. Their primary goal is to make Christians, uh, but they recognize that the best way to make Christians is to act like Christ, um, and so that's what the Salvation Army does. And and um, I have distinct memories of more than one time in my life going quote grocery shopping at the Salvation Army. I grew up very poor; we couldn't afford real food. Uh, we couldn't afford to buy our own food, so we would go to the Salvation Army. And, and they had a little store set up uh, there, and you could go down the aisles, and, and they would give you, based on your need, you had to gem- generate some proof of need. Uh, and I don't know what that was that my mother did, uh, but they would give you X number of bags based on your need, um, uh, grocery paper, paper bags. And then you go fill those bags in, in whatever way you want. So it not only empowered us to feel somewhat normal and that we were shopping, but it also fed the family. Um, and it, 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 it took care of us in a way I never pass a bell ringer without dropping money in the, the, the kettle, because I, I can honestly say, I don't think I would be here today were it not for, uh, charities in general and the Salvation Army in particular. So that, uh, that is my favorite charity of choice. Yeah, well said, you know, one thing I was listening to all of the things that we've spoken about in charities and whatever. I, I want to make sure that people realize that um, you don't just have to donate money to a charity, but if you follow their cause and you subscribe to what they're trying to do, it often like, – like a perfect example of the Salvation Army is if you need to buy some clothes, you can get in the car and you can drive to the mall and you can go to JCPenney or whatever and you can buy some clothes and you'll pay a premium for that and you'll be in that machine that is retail, right? Or you might want to just go down to your local Salvation Store, Salvation Army Store or Goodwill or Savers or whoever it is and maybe have a look in there because somebody who had excess clothing donated it because it didn't fit them anymore or they didn't like the color or whatever their reason, it got donated. And you can go in there and pick up a bargain and be you'll be surprised what you find if you're just willing to look. But by doing nothing more than fulfilling your need that you need to buy a pair of jeans or, you, or a, a jacket or whatever it might be, not only do you get a chance to see something you wouldn't normally see if you go into the typical retail store, but you're, you're actually supporting the cause of that, that group. Whether, you know, because it didn't cost them anything to get the clothing donated, 
they already receive that. What you're doing is you're funding it by your purchase. So you don't just have to think about, I just have to give money directly to somebody. You can indirectly do it by, uh, you know, supporting their causes as well. Yeah, I do. I just, having been uh, on the receiving end of, of working with those sort of groups, Salvation Army, that sort of thing, um, don't treat the Goodwill drop-off box as your garbage dump. Don't donate something that doesn't still have some life in it. Um, the I, I was talking with the local Goodwill store several years back, and 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 the manager there said essentially that they run a net negative about three out of five uh, months because it costs them more to haul off um, stuff that people dump on them than they can sell it for. And you know it, it is it is in many ways a business if they can't make enough money to keep the lights on then they can't serve the the underserved people that the goodwill exists to serve. So don't be a troll. That's I'll just leave it at that. No, you're right. I, I will say I'm actually looking at a monitor right now to watch the uh, the wonderful faces of all of my friends here on the on the uh, Geek Rant podcast <laughs> that was purchased from Goodwill for eight dollars ninety nine. So you can be a tightwad and still support your charity cause. <laughs> yeah. Okay, and uh, with that uh, insouciant commentary, uh, we'll just we'll end it. Yes, <laughs> yeah, is that better? Um, so, Seth, tell us what happened this week in history. All right, Mark. On June twenty seventh, nineteen ninety five, Spyglass goes public. The World Wide Web software provider Spyglass Inc. went public the year after it had begun distributing its Spyglass Mosaic software, an early browser for navigating the web. With previous year's earnings at $7 million, Spyglass was founded by students at the Illinois Supercomputing Center, which also inspired Netscape Communications Corp. And that happened this week in history, Mark. And now back to you. So you could say that's the birth of the modern web. Yeah, I yeah, mean, what I, was going on up there in the Illinois Supercomputing Center? Because so many projects came out of that. So many people came out of that that had such a profound effect on the on the software business. It's well, crazy. It's, pro it's probably one of those things. Well, one, um, Chicago, Illinois, that's a pretty big industrial everything center in America. But two has spyglass kind of folded the some of the remnants of spyglass jumped over and started netscape so the people were there and they already knew what they were doing and so you know but they kind of left that crumbling infrastructure and took those lessons learned and then jumped over and started you know netscape so and, and also maybe, i have no I'll, idea I'll add to that that one of the original Netscape guys, who who I believe I'm, I hope I'm right in saying this, uh, Jamie Zawinski, who was originally I think from the Illinois Supercomputing Center, not only was following the Netscape uh, project all the way through to the end, but he was absolutely fundamental in open sourcing Mozilla. So we have Firefox today because of a direct line that you can tie all the way back to the Illinois Computer uh, Supercomputing super Center. Uh, way back to 1995. Yeah, and also, let's not forget that Microsoft realized, oh, crap, we're going to be irrelevant because of this thing called the Internet. They licensed the Mo uh, the Mosaic browser as well, and that's what they built Internet Explorer off of. So, you know, you could really argue that the foundation of our modern web browsing, web 2.whatever-we-are experience goes back to the Illinois Supercomputing Center.
Just a thought. And that was only 1995. It's not like, you know, I mean, granted, some kids today weren't alive back then, but I was five years out of high school. There's no reason I couldn't have been there other than the the fact I'm lazy. Uh, All right. That's good stuff. Uh, And so I will tell you, since we are coming back this week, this is a good time to go ahead and get your feedback in. If you've been slacking off for the month of June because we've been giving you pre-recorded stuff, we're back next week. So go to elementop.com, click the contact us button at the top of the page. Let us know what you think about any of the things we've discussed. We've had three rants um, uh, that I think should probably have generated some level of, of discussion uh, based on any of those. And also, uh, tell us what you think about giving in general. What are your favorite charities? Um, you know, I, I don't want to open up the, the uh, um, you shouldn't give to this charity because X, Y, and Z. Uh, if you are aware of a charity that isn't a charity, uh, that is a business masquerading at a charity or a gross malfeasance, I'd sure like to know that. But if it's because they support a cause that you don't agree with, let's just leave that alone. Um, but otherwise, uh, let's talk about giving and you can do that over at elementop.com. Click the contact us button at the top of the page, or you can send an email to geekrant at elementop.com, or you can dial five, five, nine, I am Opie and leave us a voicemail and we'll play it on the show. Uh, now Seth, tell us, what do you have this week to lower my productivity as fill the oceans has done quite nicely. Uh, so that you look like a better, better hiring option. I think this one can really do it, but I just want to say I hopefully how like we've been in the past listing other podcasts people have liked and we that's been continuing. Hopefully the charities people like, hopefully that'll continue as well and that can be a real th- source of community involvement involvement. So anyway, this is this website requires Flash, so if you don't have Flash, it's not going to work. You have to allow it. It is called Filler and um what it is um you create a ball and you got to make sure it doesn't get hit by these other things and the object is is to fill two-thirds of the screen with uh balls you have created and then it goes on to the next screen you do it again but there's more balls flying around that can break the balls you make so you just you click there and you get started and you just you go to town ball making and uh filler is the name of the website i I, based on that description i'm kind of glad i don't have flash because that could probably make my left eye twitch so um i could share my screen and show y'all but since we're not broadcasting this one it doesn't matter but anyway that's my chance to lower your productivity and uh get me a job wherever you were working so anyway mark back to you all right. Well, uh, we hope you have enjoyed your time off. Miles is not yet in the country. He is still traveling, but uh, he thinks that uh, for the month of July, he'll be having uh, more access to regular bandwidth. So we'll see how that goes. I know it killed him to miss the show he missed recently. It's uh, it's uh, it's a deeply personal thing for him. So if he has to rub uh, two sticks in the air and generate a static electricity charge, he'll do it. Um, but uh, we hope you've enjoyed your travels, Miles, and you can let us all know about it when you come back. Yeah, I guess. Because <laughs> yeah. I haven't gone yet, so right. it's hard to comment. But yeah, I will do that. Actually, I'll still probably be traveling a little bit in July, but I have I have spent some time building a mobile podcasting rig to die for and i'm going to be using it from some far-flung location on the planet at some point so hopefully you'll 
You'll have me on that from t- Toronto or somewhere. I don't. Know. Uh, maybe you can do like a, a you know a, a dispatches from the front kind of thing where you, if you go to some place cool, you can uh, loop together some recordings and and we'll uh, you know put those in the shows that you're you're you know while you're still traveling. That that might be cool. I don't want to okay. turn your vacation into work, but if an opportunity presents you could write itself, it off then. Because, you know, <laughs> you receive some sort of income from this podcast. So if you do interviews while you're gone about, you know, how has podcasting affected you to the man on the street? <laughs> just a thought. Okay. I'll try. Always working the angles. <laughs> I'm just trying. Hey, I'm here to help. I like me the angles. <laughs> all right folks thanks for hanging out with us and uh what we said was going to be a short show but it ended up being about an hour anyway because blowhards uh <laughs> it's, we'll see you next week uh and remember pay for what you like <laughs>